Amen. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Beginning in verse 13, we'll read down through verse 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. <clears throat> and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not, is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a definition, what an explanation of the heart and mind and affections of a true pilgrim, a stranger, one who's been called out of this world by your divine calling one who's no longer a native of this sinful world, but is now, by the new birth, a child of God. And Lord, since that day that you called us out of the world, Father, you've enabled us to be true pilgrims and strangers. You've created in us a desire and a longing for a better country, a heavenly whose city is made by God. Lord, we thank you this morning that we gather here today in this place as thy children, as pilgrims and strangers. Lord, we look to hear from thee. Lord, encourage us, we pray, to the preaching of thy word. Encourage us as well from these cloud of witnesses of which we read in Hebrews chapter 11. Lord, we would truly look unto the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, strengthen us, encourage us in this pilgrimage. Grant us much grace and mercy. And if there be one this morning amongst us that knows not Christ, I pray that, Lord, they'd sense and realize their need of Thee. And that, Lord, they're living in a world that's bound for destruction. As Pilgrim realized in the book of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, the city of destruction. Lord, how I pray that they would flee from this city and flee to Christ and join this pilgrimage. Thank you, Lord, for all your grace, your mercy. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know, anyone who has lived in a foreign country 
for any length of time, and I did for about 35 years, can truly understand the concept of being a stranger and or a pilgrim. For try as you may, the reality of you being a stranger or foreigner in a country not your own, one which is not native to you, will always be present. You'll always be reminded that that's not your country, whether it be their culture, their language, the style which they live. You're always reminded, regardless if you learn their language perfectly, because you're not a native of that country. You will always be reminded that you're a foreigner and a stranger. Yet the miracle and wonder of true saving faith is that unlike crossing a border in this present world or traveling to another country, true faith sets our hearts and our affections on a country we have not yet seen on a place that no visible eye has noticed or seen. And yet it makes its existence and reality, and listen closely, it makes its, its existence and its reality more sure, more certain than any country in this present world. This is the wonder and miracle of faith. It makes this better country, this place that we have not yet seen with our eyes, more sure and more of a reality than a country we can see with our own eyes. I want you to ponder that for a moment. Because I believe our text this morning answers many questions concerning those who profess to be strangers and pilgrims. That's the power and wonder of faith. Sometimes I believe as Christians we lose that concept. Some of us may have never really realized it. The wonder and power of faith not only enabling us to believe in Christ as our Savior and believe in God, let not your heart be troubled, believe, you believe in God, believe also in me, but the power and wonder of God's faith, which is a gift, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, enables you and I as God's people to believe so firmly in a better country, in a place our eyes have never seen, that it makes it more sure of its existence than a country and a place we can visibly see. That is an amazing work of faith. As we sang those psalms this morning and those hymns and read Scripture, it was more evident to me than ever 
that we are merely pilgrims in this world, strangers in this world. We're gathered here today, today in this place to worship God, yet we do so as pilgrims and strangers in a world that does not know our God. The reality that we don't belong here is something that presides with us every day of our lives. Last week as I sat in a meeting where I work and the people were talking about upcoming events that they were going to celebrate and all of that, I sat on the side and I felt, never have I felt like such a stranger and pilgrim. I thought, I have not the same desires and longings that you do. I wish not the same things that you do. Never have I felt so strong the feelings of a stranger and a pilgrim. This isn't my home. And the things that you love and cherish and desire, the things that you so much seek after, my heart has no longing for. But now they desire a better country. A better country. That is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. What an amazing text. God's not ashamed to be called our God because we desire a better country. For he hath prepared for them a city. God has prepared for these strangers and pilgrims a city. And because they desire a better country, that is a heavenly, our God is not ashamed to be called our God. What an amazing verse. God has every, wor- every reason in the world and in eternity to be ashamed of us. We are of ourselves nothing and nobody. Yet in Christ, in Christ, We're made acceptable in the sight of God. He prepares the city. Look over in John chapter 14 and listen to the words of the Son of God, like that of the Father. Hebrews says, for he hath prepared for them, those in verse 13, a city. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Sounds like the city. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may also be. Now watch this. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. What's he speaking about? Your pilgrims and strangers, your sojourners. You know where I'm going, and you know the way I'm going. The divine remedy for the believer's troubled heart is not only to believe in God, but also in Christ who has promised to prepare us a place for us. And who will come again, he says. 
to receive us unto himself, that where he is, there we may be also. And it is by that same belief or faith that the true believer is assured whether he goes and that we know the way. That's the assurance. It's like the Father and the Son are echoing the same divine promises in Hebrews and in John. And confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Let me ask you a question this morning. How real do you feel to be a stranger and a pilgrim? What is the measure of that reality within your own heart at this very moment? And even in the past week, you know, we get so caught up in the world and all the things that they require of us on the job and, and the busy schedules we have. Sometimes we forget. I was, I've, I've wondered for years why there's always this constant restlessness in my soul, this uneasiness. And, and many times as a young Christian, I thought it's because I'm not doing something right. I'm not living right. And I searched my heart and I, I, I prayed and I confessed and I repented. And, I, and that restlessness, that uneasiness has never left me. And now that I'm older in the Lord and I look back, I can see that that restlessness, that uneasiness is because this is not my home. And in a stranger and pilgrim's heart, there will always be this sense of restlessness, uneasiness in this present world. It's not my home. When I lived in Germany, there were times when I could forget where I was at in a different country, but there were certain times of the year to when I would reminisce and think about my home and what we did and how we lived, and it was constantly there. And if I didn't remember it, I'd start speaking the language and somebody would catch it. My, my language that wasn't proper or whatever and say, oh, you're not from here. And Brown went yesterday with my wife in a store and my wife was trying to catch my attention and like many times I wasn't listening. I didn't hear her. I didn't do it purposely. And some woman heard her and came up and said, where are you from? Living in a foreign country, you're always aware. Sitting in your home. Dearly beloved, embrace that sense of uneasiness and restlessness as you pilgrim to this world. Never get settled in this world. As we'll see in the closing of our sermon this morning, they could have went back to their country, but they chose to disown it. It's not theirs. Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Not by physically separating themselves from the world. But Hebrews says in verse 11, by their confession. Look at the wording of Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims and by their confession. It wasn't a physical separation. It was by their confession. I pray not that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil. It's not God's divine purpose that he 
save us, redeem us, and then set us off in some pinnacle somewhere on a mountain, somewhere a monk, and live separate from the world forever. Serves no purpose. How can you be a light in the world if you hide it under a bushel or on a mountaintop? By their confession. For one can physically separate oneself from the world, and yet the heart and affections be not set on things above. Physical separation doesn't produce spiritual work. Something fleshly does not produce something spiritually. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. So they didn't spiritual, they didn't physically separate themselves from the world, as we'll see later on in the end of this chapter, how they were, uh, verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. They were in the world. They were persecuted, afflicted. They were tortured. They were put to death. All these things, they were in the world. They didn't physically separate themselves, but by their confession. Listen to me, beloved. By their confession, they were strangers and pilgrims. That takes more faith and courage and devotion and perseverance than separating oneself physically, but by their confession. And confessed. That is notwithstanding danger and opposition. They openly professed and obeyed the truths of God. They observed His ordinances and they walked in His ways. They confessed being strangers and pilgrims by, the, by their conversation and by the way they lived before others. They were confessing to them being pilgrims and strangers. And yet my question this morning is what motivated, what inspired, what moved them to make such a confession before God and men? What motivated them? What moved them? What inspired them? Verse 13, listen to the word of God. These all died in faith not having received the promises. They hadn't received them yet. Here it is. But having seen them afar off. This is what motivated their confession. Listen. But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. That was their motivation. That was their inspiration for confessing that they were strangers. You see, the truths of God were real to them. So real that they were persuaded of them. And they embraced them. In their hearts and their affections and their minds, they were different people. Though they had not presently received the promises, this verse says. They didn't receive them, having, uh, not having received the promises. That's a, that's a paradox to the world. They didn't receive them, but listen to it. Having seen them afar off, By faith, they seen them afar off, which made them just as real, just as sure, as if they were already fulfilled. This is the amazing work of faith. Listen to me. We all want to see the promises of God fulfilled. We all want to and desire that God would fulfill His promises to us. Yet faith does not rest in the present. Faith takes the promises of God even when we have not received them and says they are still mine by right 
of being the new birth and of God's promises, of his covenant promises. Everything God promises me in this book is as if they are mine now. I don't have to wait for them. They're mine now. That's the power and wonder of faith. Now, true, we're not physically, literally in heaven. <laughs> but doesn't the Bible speak as though we are? Our conversation is in heaven. From whence we look uh, for Christ. Let your affections be not upon the earth, but in heaven. Set them in heaven. This is what makes Christians, strangers, and pilgrims. This is what the confession we have. We're not from here. Faith sees them afar off and still claims them to be their own, as if they've already obtained them. Let me give you probably the greatest example in Scripture. In John chapter 8, our Lord said, speaking of Abraham, he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. I love that. And he saw it. And was glad. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't find anywhere in the book of Genesis where Abraham makes reference. Now, indirectly he does, but I never read in Genesis where Abraham makes reference to seeing Christ's day. But Christ said, oh, but he did. I like how he said, he rejoiced to see my day. And then he just drives it deeper, and he saw it. But having seen them afar off, and he saw it, and he was glad. You know how many thousands of years passed before Christ came into this world? And yet Abraham not only saw it, but he rejoiced and he was glad. How do you know that you have a home in heaven? How can you be so assured that God is preparing a place for you, a city for you? Because God promised it, and God who cannot lie promised me, and therefore by faith I've already obtained it. It's mine. I just ain't moved in yet. Literally. But it's mine. We have a home in heaven. Saw it afar off. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Follow me as he goes on in the end of this chapter. Hebrews 11:32 And what shall I more say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith listen to this who through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness obtained promises stopped the mouth of lions quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness were made strong waxed valiant in fight turned to flight the armies of the aliens women received their dead raised to life again and others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resur resurrection and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings yea moreover of bonds and imprisonment they were stoned they were sawn asunder 
were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Now, I don't know about you, that's a, that's a wonderful works of faith that these people are doing having not received the promise. They were strangers and pilgrims. And for such confession, it cost them their very lives. Torture, shame, reproach. That's how convinced they were of the promise. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. That's how convinced they were of the promise. You know, sometimes in this day and age of Christians, sometimes I wonder what we really think about faith. We meet hardships and trials in life, and suddenly our whole life falls to pieces. So God hasn't given you the promise yet. You haven't received it yet. Yet faith tells you you have much greater things in Christ. Yet we ignore those things. Faith goes beyond the present. It goes beyond reasoning. And it reaches out into eternity and grasps hold of the promises of God as though they were ours now, even though we're facing such afflictions and trials. How do you expect to be treated in this world being a stranger and a pilgrim? We're not wanted. We're not desired, not well-beloved. All these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Who through faith? Isn't that amazing? All these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Now watch this. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us, that they without us, that they without us should not be made perfect. You know, we sang that song, we shall shout when we see Christ. Can you imagine when God brings all this together and brings all his saints home and for the first time in eternity all the elect are standing before the throne of God. Those in Hebrews 11, those throughout every century, those that were truly pilgrims and strangers and finally we all get to see him as he is. Can you imagine what kind of noise there shall be in heaven? We're going to need an incorruptible body to sustain ourselves. Provided some better thing for us that they without us. I'm humbled by that. Some of these people were stoned, sawn asunder, thrown to the lions, wandered in sheepskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented. Many of us haven't even suffered a measure of that. And yet God said, they're not going to be 
perfect without you. It was faith in divine promises not yet received which enabled them to obtain a good report and endure such opposition and fiery terror. It was faith. It was faith in divine promises not yet received. Not just merely faith, but faith in divine promises not yet received. What an amazing... We, we, we act as though we're only going to act when God gives us a promise now, then I'll move. What if God doesn't give it to you now? Abram, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a seat. Well, that's great. That's what I want for. Yeah, I'll give you a seat. And so God waited, and God waited, and God waited. <clears throat> and Sarah said, don't you think we ought to do something about this? God promised us, let's go ahead and make this thing happen. You know the rest of the story. Sometimes we won't move until the promise is fulfilled. Think about that for a minute, believer. Think about that for a minute. Sometimes we don't act until the promise is fulfilled. We pray about something, so we're waiting for God to fulfill What if God doesn't fulfill it? What if God chooses to fulfill it later, yet after we've been through a lot of afflictions and trials and temptations, and people get discouraged, so, well, I guess God didn't want that. Well, maybe God did want that. <clears throat> after weeks and months, I'm sure Abraham was going, okay, God, where's the promise? You promised me, son. promised me a child. And then when it finally came about, and it was told to Abraham, Sarah laughed about it in her tent, remember? She thought, yeah, now, now's a good time. I can't possibly, I can't possibly bear a child at my age. Now you've waited too long. Don't, aren't we the same way? God, you've waited too long for this. This is what I'm, that's what I'm saying. We live in a generation that doesn't walk as pilgrims and strangers. We want the promises fulfilled before we move. We're afraid to say God's given me a promise and I'm going to act upon it. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like nothing's happened. It doesn't matter. God gave it to me. I'm assured of it. This is what God has promised and I believe it. I'm going to act in accordance to that. We don't do that. Too many times our hopes, let me use the word dreams, but our hopes are shattered because things don't happen the way we intended them to happen. Well, maybe God intended it to happen, yet not the way that you and I devised it to happen, but God still intended for it to happen. What do we do with promises not yet received? Well, first of all, we need to be persuaded of them. And then embrace them. They died without having them fulfilled. <laughs> we would call that not being successful, wouldn't we? You didn't receive the promise in your lifetime. Faith says, I don't care. It was still there. Amazing. Think about it. Very few Christians think about faith in this concept. That God promises you and I something that we in this lifetime might not ever see fulfilled, but he still promises it. Yet we don't believe it until it's fulfilled. Strange, isn't it? The world has no answer, no reply for such a life as this. That's why we're strange. They have no answer, no reply for this. Thus, by such a confession, the true believer confesses that he's a stranger and pilgrim on earth. By confession. David said in Psalm 119, I am a stranger in the earth. I'm a stranger in the earth. 
Hide not thy commandments from me. That was his answer. I'm a stranger here. I need your commandments, though, to guide me. Beloved, we're all guilty of that. Of what? Of having faith and promises, and then they don't be revealed, or we don't receive them, we give up on them. Or we're afraid to make a confession of promises not yet received. We're all guilty of that. We're afraid. We're afraid. Let us learn from our forefathers who lived such a life of faith, Hebrews 11, in the end of chapter 11. They lived all that. They suffered through all of that. They went through all that not having received the promises. Yet they believed in them so much, were persuaded of them so much, embraced them so much, as though they had already fulfilled. They were already fulfilled. That's faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded and embraced them. Beloved, herein lies the evidence and effectual working of faith and promises not yet received. Listen to me real closely, because I cannot teach this. It must be the Holy Spirit of God who teaches this, but I hope and pray that he'll use the word of God and his word to impart it upon our souls. Listen to me. Herein lies the divine evidence and effectual working of faith and promises not yet received. They were persuaded of them. We want to be persuaded when they come, not before they come. No, you persuaded of them before they get here. And we embrace them. Many there be who speak often and boldly of such promises, yet their lack of persuasion and embracing them proves them to not be strangers and pilgrims on earth. While they embrace and are convinced of the things and pleasures of this world, they're not persuaded and convinced of the things of God. To me, that's someone who does not have true saving faith. I'm talking about true saving faith. It works effectual in all of God's children. It works effectual in all of God's children. Now, we might lack in this area. We might not understand this area in the realm. But I'm telling you, this is something that works by God's grace, effectual working of faith in every child of God, making us pilgrims and strangers. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that we cannot do nothing without God's knowing it, without God ordaining it. I believe that I believe in the God in the sovereignty and providence of God, but I also believe that God gives us a measure of responsibility and accountability to act in accordance to the measure of faith He's given us. We we remain babes in Christ because we're not listening to Scripture. Persuaded means convinced, to believe, to be assured of, and that of the divine promises they have yet to receive, and which they have seen afar off. You've got to see them afar off. You've got to see them afar off to be persuaded of and to embrace them. Oh, beloved, I'm telling you, I'm talking about a realm that the human mind and human logic cannot fathom. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith we understand. This is the wonder and <laughs> the wonder and miracle of faith. 
We're in Romans chapter 4. Another example. Romans chapter 4. In verse 17. <clears throat> As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Sounds like Hebrews 11, huh? Who against hope believed in hope. That, that is a miracle. Against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. You see the difference here? He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now watch. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. What does faith rest in? Listen to me real, real closely. What does faith really rest in? Is it in the promise? Or is it in the promise, sir? It's in the promise, sir. Yes, the promise is the promise given by God, but that promise is only made assurable because we know that he's able you see where our lack of faith is? It's not in the promise, but our lack of faith is in believing that he is able. God can do this. You know, I'll be the first to admit there's so many things in my life sometimes that I, I expected something, I wanted something, I really believed to be true. It didn't happen. It shattered. didn't happen the way I wanted to, and I just gave up on it. What that tends to do if we're not careful, it makes us gun-shy, if I can use that phrase. It makes us afraid to trust in God in things that have not been given yet. We believe that God has said it before us. We believe that God is leading in this direction, yet we're not, we're not, able, we're not willing to commit ourselves to it because we're afraid it's going to just shatter again like the next one. Satan uses that. Who against hope believed in hope? Oh, beloved, I'm... I'm not just me, but Scripture's asking us, Scripture's challenging us to step out on faith, to believe, even though we've not received the promise. Being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform it. Beloved, this persuasion is not founded upon reasoning of the human mind. You listen to me? It's this persuasion of which Hebrews talks, they were persuaded of it. It's not found on the reasoning of the you. I'd sit there and persuade myself. That's not what it's founded on. It's not a convincing by learning or knowledge of one's intellect, but by faith. Faith persuades them. which is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith persuades us. Faith persuades us. The evidence of things not seen. 
Let's look over in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Paul went through this whole list here. Who shall separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm persuaded that none of these things, though they might happen, and they did, believe the promise, having not received it. It doesn't matter. None of these things can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We are made more than conquerors through him that loved us. It's faith. This divine persuasion, which is by faith, is more infinitely sure, more certain, more trustworthy than anything this vain world has to offer. Is there anybody in this world that you can trust completely? I trust my loved one. You might but you can't trust them completely. Faith gives us a divine persuasion that is more certain, more trustworthy, more infinitely sure than anything this vain world has to offer. For I know, 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul said, for I know whom, not what, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded of what that he's able again like Abram that he's able he's able to keep that which I have committed unto I love that part the hypers have a problem with that able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day Paul said I've committed something unto him I could I could stay there for a while but that's Christianity Commit things to Christ, believing that he's able. Paul said, I've committed them unto him. I'm not a robot. I just don't mechanically do whatever God tells me to do, a puppet on the string. No, I've committed some things to Christ, and I'm sure, I'm persuaded he's able to keep that. Sure. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Why? For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. I know whom I believe it. Must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's able. You see why these men and women were strangers and pilgrims? By their confession. By their confession, they were persuaded of him. But real quickly... Because I wanted to focus more on that. But real quickly, the persuasion of them led to them embracing them. And here's the key. Here's the key to it. They were not only persuaded of them, they embraced them. And this is where I believe many Christians fall short. They want to say they're persuaded of the promises of God. But the question is, have we learned to embrace them? Have we learned to enfold our arms around them? To clasp them in our bosom as John leaned on Jesus' bosom. 
<coughs> a firm and fixed persuasion coupled by an undivided affection of embracing them. Lay hold on eternal life, Paul said. Lay hold on it. These things lead God's people's confessing by their actions and their affections that they truly are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They embrace the promises that they have not received yet, that are yet afar off. Them being persuaded of them moves their hearts and affections to embrace them. They mean everything to them. The love of Christ constraineth us, Paul said. So we must be persuaded, and faith helps us, and we must embrace them, keep them, hold on to them. I know many say that sounds like a, uh, an act of works. It's not. It's accountability. By faith, Noah built an ark. Many hypers today will say, well, Noah's just going to sit there and God will build the ark by himself. Noah's just got to believe it. No, Noah had to build the ark. Noah didn't build the ark. He wouldn't have been saved. He had to build the ark. Common biblical sense. He had to build the ark. And yet, as I wind this down, there's another undeniable and indisputable evidence of their truly being strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And this is what I want us to really see to cap this thing off this morning. And who which has also proven the hypocrisy and final ruin of many who once vainly professed to be strangers and pilgrims. Look at verse 15. For truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What's he saying here? Verse 15. For truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Again, here's something that we need to pay attention to. Scripture is plainly saying they had the opportunity to return, but they disowned it. They disowned that country from which they came out. They banished themselves from it. They had the opportunity to have returned, and yet Scripture says they didn't. But now they desire a better country. Beloved, I've witnessed many, and maybe you as well, who once made the bold profession of being strangers and pilgrims on earth only to forsake such a professed pilgrimage and return from whence they came out. Ever met somebody like that? I've met many. I've often wondered, why could they not sustain the journey? Why why would they not continue on that journey, that pilgrimage and that being a, a sojourner that they once so boldly professed? Why now have they went back? Scripture answers that. I believe it's because they never had real faith. You listen to me? They never had real faith. 
Somebody who does not have real faith will not see the promises afar off. They will not be persuaded by them because they don't see them. They will not embrace them because they don't desire them. And so what they're going to do is eventually they're going to look back at that country they like, like Lot's wife. Don't look back. Keep going forward. Lot's wife had a heart left in that city. She couldn't depart from it. So she turned back and turned into a pillar of salt. The angel said, do not look back. You know why there's a lot of people that we've all met in our lifetime as Christians who once made such a bold profession of being a stranger and pilgrim, who now walk no more with God, because they went back to the country. But a true child of God by faith, because he's seen the promises of far outs, he's been persuaded of them, he's embraced them by faith, he now disowns that country. I disown this country. I banish myself from this country. We have Halloween coming up and everybody's making all these preparations and I disown myself from such a thing. I want no part of such a thing. I don't want the same things that you want. I don't want to live the same way you do. I don't want the same things you do. It's different. My life's different. I have different desires and longings. I'm a stranger and a pilgrim and my confession proves that I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. I don't want the things of the world. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. We're different by our confession. Why? Because we've seen promises afar off. We've been persuaded of them. We've embraced them by faith. And now, and now, but now, he said, verse 16, but now they seek a better country. And heavenly. Where henceforth God is not ashamed to be called their God. God, an amazing comfort, for he hath prepared for them a city. How should that inspire us? I'll close with this, Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 1. Like Ecclesiastes, what's the end of all this? Hebrews 12, wherefore? because of all of what he said in chapter 11. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, Ah, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Wherefore, seeing we're encompassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, they should inspire us. Are you truly a pilgrim, a stranger on earth? Have you disowned and banished yourself from this world? Do you now look for a better city in heavenly? Have you seen the promises afar off? Have you been persuaded of them? Do you embrace them? Those of you this morning who know not Christ, I challenge you to look around the room this morning. You see people that are Christians. Be they friends, families, mother, father, 
were pilgrims. And as awkward as it may sound, because you're not a Christian, you have no part of their journey. One day, our journey shall end. And we'll go to that place which God has prepared for us. If you die without Christ, you will be eternally separated not only from God, but also from your loved ones, your family, your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, who were pilgrims. I encourage you to turn to Christ while you may, while you can. Because believe me, when the Lord said, I will come again, He's coming again. He's coming again, just as sure as He came the first time. He's coming again in a twinkling of an eye. When man least is prepared, He's coming again. He's going to gather His children home. And if you're not one of them, He's going to leave you behind. And you will be forever separated. I challenge you, I encourage you, I beseech thee to join the pilgrimage by turning to Christ before it's too late. For one day you might wake up and realize it's too late. And these strangers and pilgrims have been transported to heaven. And I'm left to face the punishment of my sin. And that forever. May God have mercy upon your souls. Christian, think on these things. And dwell on them. Our pilgrimage is soon over. If the Lord don't come back, life is so brief. In no time we'll be meeting Him. May God grant us grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask you, Lord, that you would be merciful to everyone this morning. We ask that you be merciful to your children. Impart unto us again anew a spirit of being a stranger and a pilgrim. Help us, Lord God, to walk by faith. And Lord, even though we might not receive the promises, help us to see them afar off. Help us to be persuaded of them and embrace them. And by that, help it us to confess that the way we live in our conversations, that we are strangers and pilgrims, and that we look for a new city, a better city, a better country. And be with those who know not Christ. Lord, quickly is the day of judgment coming, more quickly than most people, if not all people, understand. In the twinkling of an eye, in a moment. Lord, I pray that you'd help them realize they have not tomorrow. They have only today. They have only now. And I pray that, Father, Lord, you encourage them. Help them to see their need of Christ. Help them to understand that this pilgrimage is a blessed pilgrimage. For it leads to God. And a place he's prepared for us. So that we might be with him. Lord, we pray now that you'd bless as only you can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.